Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. And we're up to Perak Yudchet, and we're now starting Pasuk Tet Vav. And Pasuk Tet Vav is the conclusion of the story of the announcement of the birth, the impending birth of a child to Abraham and Sarah, who is going to be called Yitzchak. And Sarah expressed surprise and incredulity, and we talked last week about the nature of that incredulity. Hello, Sarah. And in Pasuk Tet Vav, we read, Sarah denied, saying, Lo tzachachti, I did not laugh, ki yira yora'er, vayomer, lo ki tzachakt. Because she was afraid, vayomer, and he said, that's Hashem, lo, no, ki tzachakt. Now, the problem that Rashi deals with, Rashi's actually going to spell it out for us, so I'll leave it to him, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is a relatively straightforward Rashi, but there's a particular problem because there's the same word that appears twice in this Pasuk with two different meanings. And that is why one might get confused. And the word is ki. So first it says, And then it says, So what are the two keys? What are the keys to understanding this Pasuk, if you'll pardon a very poor pun? So Rashi says on the words, ki and then ki So he puts the two dirayamatchil together and makes it very clear that he's talking about the fact that the key here has two different meanings. Harishon mishamesh loshon daha. And the first one, the first key, serves as an expression of daha, which is Aramaic for because. Shenoten tam ledavar, it gives a reason for the thing. V'tachesh, tachachesh sarah, lefi sheyere'ah. And he replaces the key as lefi, which is a word that we understand that means because. It doesn't have multiple meanings, unlike key. So the first one means because. She um, said she didn't laugh, I didn't laugh because she was afraid. Going back to the Rashi, v'hasheni, and the second one uh, serves an expression of Ela, uh, with an Aleph at the end, not with a He at the end, which is a different word. Ela is also Aramaic, and it means but. He said, it's not like your words, and then Russia uses the Ela instead of the key, but, it's, but you laughed. It's not like you said that you didn't laugh, but in fact it is that you did laugh. So the second key is but, but as in refuting what's gone before. And Rashi makes clear that the low is low kidvarech. He adds that word kidvarech, not just a general low, no, but not like your words. Ela, but rather instead, but tzachakt, you did laugh. So here, Rashi has told us that the two keys have two different meanings. The first is because, and the second one is but. And he spells out the sentence, translating, replacing the word key with the relevant um, word, which is not ambiguous. And then he says, Sha'omru Rabbateinu, ki mishamesh ba'arba loshonot. Because our rabbi said, it's a Gemara in Rosh Hashanah and I think elsewhere, that key serves for four different expressions. And it gives the Aramaic, e, dilma, ela, and daha. E is if, dilma is perhaps, ela is but, and daha is because. So the word key can be confusing, but it shouldn't be if you understand that it's got four different meanings and you work out which meaning applies in which part of which pasuk, which is what Rashi's done for us. And that concludes that part of the story. And now the scene shifts. Now, Rashi doesn't talk about this, but I'm going to because I'm fascinated by it. Perak Yudchet is a fascinating perak in the way it's constructed. So everything we've had up till now, the previous 15 verses, have been about the promise of a child to Abraham. And now the mood changes, and then it sort of links up again, as I hope we will see. So Pasuk Tet Zion says, 
ויקומו משם האנשים. The men got up from there, וישקיפו על פני סדום. And they looked at the face of Sodom. ואברהם הולך עמם לשלחם. And Abraham went with them, לשלחם, well, we would have thought that means to send them. Rashi's going to say it's not quite that. And what we're now moving to in terms of the topic is Sodom. And uh, at the risk of a spoiler, Hashem is about to have the dialogue with Abraham about the fate of Sodom. And then the very next chapter is indeed the fate of Sodom. So the men got up, having been with Abraham, they now look towards Sodom. That's the, the theme change in the middle of this parak. Rashi says on the word Vayeshkifu, Kol hashkafa shebemikra l'ra'ah. All hashkafa, all, well, hashkafa means to look. Uh, we use it today to mean philosophy, like uh, what is your hashkafa? Uh, that really means what color kippah do you wear and which rav do you um, regard highly? So, but hashkafa actually means philosophy or outlook. It's a looking perhaps with more depth and more perspective than just a simple lahabit to look. But normally it means looking, but Rashi here says something quite remarkable. Kol hashkafa shabamikra l'ra'ah. All hashkafa is negative, it's for bad. Wherever you see somebody being mashkif, it means they're looking at something that is bad or they're deciding something bad is going to happen. So Vayashkifu al Saddam explains why these people were looking at Saddam. You see, they weren't literally looking at Saddam because they had to travel to get to Saddam. They were looking sort of in the direction of Saddam. And we can ask, well, we could say, since they're malachim, they know exactly where they're going, why do they need to look in the direction? But I think a better question is, why does the Torah tell us they look towards Saddam? They got on their camels, presumably, and they trotted off, or they walked off, sorry, they, they walked off um, in that direction. And in a few psukim later, we're going to find out they arrived at Saddam. So obviously, they were going in that direction. So says Rashi, it's significant because they were looking with, uh, at something bad which sets us up for the next Pasuk and the next part of the discussion. We're being introduced to the fact that Saddam is bad because we use the word Vayashkifu. Um, they looked, and from that word, that root is a bad thing. Uh, interestingly, what else do we know about the word Mashkaf? So the word Mashkaf means lintel. And what is a lintel? A lintel is the top of the doorpost. And if you look in Shemot Yudbet Zayin, where <coughs> the instructions are given for the Korban Pesach, Shemot Yudbet Zayin, you take the blood and you put it under the two doorposts and on the lintel, the bit on the top. And Rashi says, why is it called a mashkaf? So Rashi there in Shemot Yudbet Zayin, a mashkaf hua elyon shahadelet shokef alav the door, and here he means knocks against it. Um, uh, when you close it, and he says lintel in French. And the word shkifa means to beat something. And he brings the pasuk from Vayikra, the sound of the leaf is beaten, and it's translated there in the onkelos as dashkif. So he says there, a mashkaf, the top of the door is called a mashkaf from the root kashuf, because that means to beat, which fits in here with the word lahashkif, which we normally translate as to look, but it's to look in a bad way. So Rashi says up to this point, kol hashkafa shubamikra l'ra'a. But then he says, chutz, there is an exception. Me hashkifa mima'on kotshacha. In parashat kitavo, when one brings one's vidui masa, one makes a confession to say, or an acknowledgement to say that one has uh, dealt properly with all masa. It's been given to whom it's supposed to be given, and the rest that hasn't been given away has been burnt. That's what you're supposed to do with masa. And at the end of this uh, vidui, we say, um, look down from your have holy abode. 
Why do we use the word hashkifa, which means to look in a negative way, to look at something bad, when we ask Hashem to look down at us when we've distributed our masa, <coughs> including masa oni, which is given to a poor person, masa leisheni, which is given to a levi who doesn't have any land of his own? Continues Rashi. The reason that one's an exception is shagadol koach matna niim shahofech midat harogez l'rachamim. The power of matanot aniyim, of giving to the poor, has the power to invert Hashem's anger into rachamim. So Rashi has told us that, number one, every hashkafa is towards something bad. It has a negative connotation. And by the way, we saw in Shemot Yudbet Pasuk Zayin that the root of the hashkif is to beat. Okay, then Rashi says there's an exception. Why is there an exception? Look down from your heavenly abode, your holy abode, sorry, your abode of holiness. And that's because that's dealing in the context of matanotanim, giving gifts to the poor, and in a sense, and giving gifts to the poor turns something negative, Hashem's anger, which would be expressed by hashkifa, into something merciful, because we're inverting one into the other. So the obvious question is, why does Rashi bring this little bit of exegesis here? So a simple answer is he's, he needs to. He's telling you the whole story about the word hashkafa, which appears in this pasuk. He's explaining it for you. He starts by explaining that it means something negative. Aye, but we've all learned Pashat Kitavo, where it looks like it's not negative. So Rashi has to explain that. And that's perhaps enough of an answer. But I'd also like to say that continuing my idea that we are moving into the story of Saddam and what was the characteristic of Saddam? Their greed and their refusal to give Sadaka, their refusal to share their bounty, their natural benefit by living in the middle of a fantastically flourishing, flourishing oasis. They didn't share that with other people. Uh, it's alluded to in the Chumash. It's not actually very explicit. We sort of learn it out from the way they treated Lot when Lot looked after the guests, i.e. the angels, which he offered hospitality to, and the people of Saddam were very cross about that. And we sort of learn from that, but they weren't keen on guests. They weren't keen on Hachnasat Orkin. They weren't keen on Chesed. The Midrashim tell us at length of all the tricks and the nasty things they did to avoid any possibility of tzedakah, any possibility of sharing their wealth with other people. And maybe it's not significant, or maybe it's very significant, that at this very point, Rashi brings in the point that Matanot Aniyem is so good, is so powerful, that it can invert Hashem's anger and make it into Hashem's mercy. And he says that just as we start looking towards Saddam, because the people of Saddam, they were all bad, and the look towards them was bad, and the look towards them was not mitigated by Matanat Aniyim, as it can be, as we learn from Pasha Kitabo. Then Rashi says on the word L'Shalcham, which as I said, we might have understood as to send them, says Rashi, L'Levatam, to accompany them. And then he says, Kasavur Orchim Heim. He thought that they were uh, guests as opposed to angels. So why does Rashi say Lashalacham does not mean to send them, but rather it means to accompany them? The answer is simple because Avraham accompanied them. Because the Pasuk says, For Avraham Holech Imam Lashalacham. Avraham went with them. Now, you don't go with somebody in order to send them. If you're sending them, you stand still and you send them away. But the Pasuk says he went with them, the Shalacham. So the purpose of going with them can't be to send them. It must be to accompany them. And that's why Rashi says the Shalacham is the Lavotam. Then Rashi adds, well, why was Abraham accompanying them? By the way, as part of the mitzvah of Hachasat Orchim. Um, for instance, says that part of the mitzvah is to walk for Amot with your guest as they leave. Um, so Abraham was still doing the mitzvah of Hachnasat Orchim. Why was he doing the mitzvah of Hachnasat Orchim? Because from beginning to end, he thought that they were men, people, and therefore he was doing the normal, or the Abraham-type normal 
chesed with them. Had he known they were angels, presumably the implication is he wouldn't have needed to do Hakasa Orchim because they weren't Orchim, and therefore he wouldn't have needed to do the final Makibapatish of the mitzvah, which is to accompany them. Which also, by the way, raises the interesting question, which I haven't got an answer to. What does this tell us about Avraham, who can entertain people who turn out to speak prophetically and who say that a miracle is going to occur and you're going to have a son even at your advanced age? And Avraham still thinks that they are ordinary mortal people. So maybe he thinks they're Nevi'im or just people with Ruach HaKodesh. He doesn't assume that somebody who speaks like that and prophesies like that is a Malach. He thinks they are Anashim. Okay, now we turn on to Pasuk Yud Zion. As I say, we really are moving theme here. Pasuk Yud Zion says, Vayomer, sorry, Vahashem Amar, Hashem said, Hamachase ani me Avraham, Hashem ani oseh. So Hamachase is something to do with covering. So just a moment, Sarah. Rashi says, Hamachase ani bitmia. It is a question. And it means, will I cover? Uh, and the next uh, two psukim are part of Hashem's, as it were, internal dialogue, where he's asking, should I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do? Yes, Sarah. Just on um, a thought on your question about Abraham treating the people who spoke prophetically as um, an Hashem. I guess, I don't know, the way I understood Rashi was uh, just in him saying, Kasavu or him that... Abraham considered them as guests, so I guess not necessarily exp explicitly as people, but whether they were sort of somewhat prophet-like, that Abraham regarded them or treated them with the warmth you're saying, of... You're saying, Rashi's saying that even maybe Abraham knew by now they were Malachim, but he he thought that they were still have the status of guests in his house. Yeah, like whether that or not... They're he... still subject to... The, the regular Hakasat Orachim. Yeah, yeah. Whether or not it, he was sure that they were Malachim or... Okay, you, you may well be right. I was reading Orachim as La'afuke Malachim, as Orachim stroke, uh, as equivalent to Anashim. Um, you're reading Orachim as guests, people or, or entities, whether human or not, that need hospitality. Yeah. Okay, you may be right. We'd have to go back um, and I'd have to go back to do it properly to see when Rashi's used the word Orchim beforehand, if he's used the word Orchim as to distinguish from Malachim, which is what right. I assumed he was doing, but I may be wrong. I'm just thinking it, yeah, it's not um, totally unreasonable to treat Malachim as guests, even knowing the Malachim, like in terms of us singing Shalom Aleichem, um, or like the way we would stand up in Havdal, that's Shabbat more than, more than Malachim, but sort of regarding them as, as entities that come and, and leave and should yes. be offered due respect. And you'll notice when we welcome the malachim into our house, we then say, Seitzchem, get out before we start any food. <laughs> we don't offer them anything. <laughs> Just by the way, um, you know, it's, it's a very popular minhag and one that I do to sing Shalom Aleichem. It is hugely problematic because the one thing that we shouldn't do is daven to anyone or anything other than a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Because the Rambam says at the beginning of Hilchot of Zara, that's the beginning of Avodah Zara. Uh, I believe the Gra did not, and his, uh, I was going to say Hasidim the Gra, his uh, followers do not sing Shalom Aleichem, and there's very good reasons not to sing Shalom Aleichem, but we all do. Anyway, I just mentioned that because you did. Okay, let's move on. So the next thing Rashi says after saying Hamakasa is a question, what I am going to do. So Rashi says, So the first thing Rashi says is he limits Hashem's question. Hashem is asking himself, should I discuss with Abraham what I'm going to do? So Rashi says, we're not talking about Hashem's plans for entire creation, but rather just the particular matter of Saddam and its potential destruction. Because if you read the Pasuk, it sounds like, what I'm going to do is with everything. So Rashi limits it. It doesn't make sense to say that Hashem is thinking of sharing with Abraham 
all his plans for mankind, which he doesn't anyway. So Rashi restricts it to say, the Sadaq. Now then Rashi goes on to say why Hashem has this question. After all, it's a good question because Hashem does lots of things and he doesn't discuss it with humans. He doesn't get somebody to sign off and give their approval, but apparently that's what he's going to do now. So why should he do that, says Rashi. It is not nice for me, speaking as Hashem, to do this thing without his knowledge. Why? I gave him this land. And these five towns are his. By the way, let me say straight away, uh, and this will be important for Rashi later on, that Saddam and Amara are just two out of five towns. Rashi holds by this. Um, that we're talking about the destruction of all five towns. Um, we just don't, we, we refer to them as Saddam or Saddam and Amara, but it's actually five. So the first thing Rashi says is, the reason it's not nice for me, Hashem, not to tell Abraham, is that I've given him this land and I'm about to destroy part of it. And it's not just the people who are going to be destroyed, but the cities. And indeed, what we understand was once an oasis is going to be replaced by Yamamelech, by the Dead Sea. That's, that's quite a change to the real estate, which potentially belongs to Abraham. So that's the first thing he says. Uh, sorry, and then he has to prove that these five cities, these five towns, the Sodom area, are part of Eretz Canaan, which has been promised to Abraham. Shne'emar, as it says, Gvul ha-Kanani mitzidon ba'ocha Sodoma va'amora. The border of the Canaanites is some Sidon when you go towards Sodom and Amora. And that was in Pashat Noach, where we talked about the descendants of Noach and their lands in some cases. And then Hashem says, Karati oto Avraham, I have called him Avraham, Av Hamon Doyim, which means the father of many nations, Ashmid et Habanim. And I'm now going to destroy the children, the descendants, below Odiyalaav, and should I not make known to the father, Shahu Ahavi, who is my beloved. Remember my beloved, that's going to come back in a minute. So Rashi says there are two reasons why it's appropriate for Hashem to involve Abraham, or rather, the way Rashi puts it, why it would be inappropriate for Hashem not to involve Abraham. Number one is he's promised Abraham the land, and number two is he promised Abraham to be the father of many nations. Now, it's not quite the same as promising him children, but I would like to say it's in a similar direction. And at all times, there's been this duality between what Abraham uh, is getting from Hashem, as Hashem's promise to Abraham. There's the promise of land and there's the promise of children. Now here, as I say, we're not talking directly about children. We're talking about Abraham's influence over Hamon Goyim, over many nations. He's their pseudo-father. Um, so Rashi brings both these points at this point, that Hashem's relationship to Abraham is centered on land, and it's also centered, it's got two foci, also centered on children, on Abraham's relation to people. And both of those are going to be affected by the destruction of Saddam. And that is why, says Rashi, Hashem asks himself the question, should I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do? And Hashem's answer we know is, no, I shouldn't hide from Abraham. And he does involve Abraham. And, and I think Rashi's really asking why, or answering, why does Hashem do that? Because it's not normal for Hashem to discuss with a person about Hashem's plans, and yet he does here. So two reasons which, which reflect on the two parts of Hashem's promise to Abraham. And uh, note that the last two words that Rashi said that I should involve Abraham because he is Ohavi, he is my beloved. Remember that for Pasuk Tet, uh, sorry, Yud Tet. Then we say in Pasuk Yud Chet, and uh, this is still Hashem talking to himself, as it were, but Abraham, Hayo, Yihyeh, Legoi, Gadol, Va'atsum, Avraham will be a great and mighty nation, and all nations of the world will be blessed in him. Again, by the way, um, 
there are so many references to what's gone before and what's coming next. What's gone before is the promise of children. That's what we have the whole first half of the parak about. And we're told again, Avram's going to be a great nation, echoing what Hashem's just told Avraham about he's going to have a child. Now, but why do we need this possible? Because we really could have managed without it. So says Rashi, but Avraham Avraham will be. So he starts with a midrash, which is interesting because normally he would start with what he would call the pshat. And usually if there's two, the midrash comes second. Here he starts with the midrash. Midrash Agadah. Zechad Sadik Livracha. So we say Zechad Sadik Livracha. We use that phrase uh, after somebody has died. That's not really what it means. It means when you mention a tzaddik, you bless him. So Rashi goes on to say, Ha'il kiru baracho. Since he's mentioned him, he blesses him. So says Rashi, the first explanation, which he calls the Midrash, is that Pasuk Yudcheh is in brackets. Because Abraham has been mentioned in Pasuk Yudzayin, then he's blessed in Pasuk Yudcheh. So we say nice things about Abraham. He's going to be a great nation, and all the families, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed in him. Then Rashi says, Upshuto. And the simple meaning, Should I hide from him? He is beloved before me, to be a great nation. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. So, continuing, the second explanation is we still go back to the previous passage, Pasuk Yudzayin. Pasuk Yudzayin says, Should I hide from Avraham? It's going to carry on in Pasuk Yudtet. And Pasuk Yudchet is part of the process of Hashem saying, Listen, Avraham's a really great guy. He is beloved to me. And he's so beloved that I'm going to make him into a great nation and have everyone blessed through him. So, why let's try and analyze these two um, positions of Rashi and why we need both and why we need them in this order. So, the go-to place for why we need two explanations of Rashi, as you know, is the Muscular David. And he says, um, actually it's not Muscular David, it says the first one. The first one is necessary um, because of the repetition of the word Avraham. And this is why it comes first. And although it's not the Peshat in the sense of Zechad Tzadik Livracha is, is not like following the normal narrative, to put the whole Pasuk in brackets is Midrash rather than Peshat. It's not the simplest explanation. The simplest explanation is just to have a natural um, continuum from Yud Zayin to Yud Chet. It's a Midrash, it's not the simple Peshat to put Yud Chet in brackets, which is what Zechad Tzadik Livracha means. However, it fits better. So this is a Midrash which actually fits the Peshat better than the Peshat. It, it reads more easily and more naturally if we say Pasuk Yudcheh is performing the function of Zeichat Tzadik Levracha. And presumably that is why Rashi lists the Midrash. It's not the simple meaning, but it's actually the better meaning, and he puts it first. It's the one that fits better. And sorry, the reason it fits better is because of the repetition of the word Avraham. Because if you said Avraham in Yud Zion, Naturally, it could have just said, Why does it need to say, So that fits with Zechad Tzadik Lebracha. If you've mentioned Avraham, let's praise Avraham. So it goes like this. You read Pasuk Yudzayin, and it mentions the name Avraham. So then you say in Pasuk Yudchet, Oh, Avraham, he's a great guy. Zechad Tzadik Lebracha. You've mentioned him, therefore you praise him. However, as I suggested, it's not quite the natural flow of the narrative to create a whole Pasuk in brackets. And that is why perhaps you need the Peshat as well. And the Peshat, um, you'll see I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on the beloved nature of Abraham because I'm waiting for the, the big reveal in Pasuk Yotet. But um, according to the second explanation, there is a nice progression from Yudzayim to Yudchet to Yudtet especially the way Rashi puts it, because Rashi on Yud Zion, as I told you and I highlighted, ended with the words, Shahu Ahavi, he is my beloved, and Yud Chet says, according to Rashi, 
in the second explanation. He is beloved before me. And in Yotet, we're going to say the same thing. So from the point of view of the easiest way to read the Pesukim, it's Zechel Tzadik Lebracha. From the point of view of trying to construct a continuum, Yudzayin Yudchet Yotet, it's Rashi's second explanation. He is um, Abraham is such a special guy, he's beloved before me, but he's going to be a great nation. Surely that's a reason why I shouldn't hide from him what I'm going to do. And now we come to Pasuk Yotet, which is, I would say, for what it's worth, one of my favorite psukim in the Torah. Um, and uh, I'll try and explain why. So the Pasuk says, Ki yadativ, and that's a word which we have a problem with, and Rashi has a particular explanation of it. Uh, I'll translate it the way Rashi doesn't, but the way we naturally would have done. Yedativ, I know him, or actually, I have known him. Ki yedativ, because I have known him. Laman asher et banav, in order that he will command his children. Ve'et beito acharav, and his household, after him. And they will guard the way of Hashem. To do justice, sorry, righteousness and justice. In order that Hashem will bring on Abraham what he said of him. So this is actually the conclusion of Hashem's internal dialogue. And his question in Yud Zion was, should I discuss with Abraham what I'm going to do to Saddam? In Yud Chet, one way or the other, it says Abraham's a great guy. And in Yud Tet, it tells us why he is a great guy. And the reason I have such an affinity for this Pasuk, because it tells us the secret of greatness, the secret of being close to Hashem. You know what it is? Teach your children the right way. Abraham is special. Now we know Abraham is special, and we've had Lechlecha and Bayera and Chayesara to tell us all about the special things that Abraham does. He's amazing. And yet, when Hashem wants to highlight the particular features that make Abraham really special and really close to Hashem, it's because he teaches his children. And one can go further. He doesn't teach his children, doesn't say he teaches his children out of base, although I'm sure he does. Doesn't say he teaches his children to learn lots of Gemara, although I'm sure he does. And I don't want to take a particular, if you like, hashkafic view, to use that word again. I just want to read what the Pasuk says. What it is that he teaches his children, which makes him stand out, is Bashamru derech Hashem la'asot tzedaka u'mishpat. If you raise your children to do tzedaka u'mishpat, to be kind and to be fair, to do righteousness and to do justice, that's what Hashem wants of you. And by the way, that's called Derech Hashem. Shomru Derech Hashem. How do you guard the way of Hashem? To do tzedakah or mishpat. And that's what makes Abraham stand out. And by the way, this links back to the first part of the Perak again. Because he's just been told he's going to have children. Now he's already got one child. But he's been told he's going to have another child and might be politically incorrect, but he's going to be much more significant. And this second child is the one who's going to carry on the legacy to the future and create the whole dynasty that starts with Abraham's going to go through Yitzchak. So having been told that he's going to have this son, Hashem now says that he is going to raise him in the right way. And he says Banav, so it's Yishmael and Yitzchak, or maybe it's more generic than that. Okay, but what about the first words, Ki Yadativ, because I have known him. Rashi doesn't translate it that way. Rashi says, an expression of love or affection. The same expression of love that has been referred to by Rashi in Yudzain and Yudchet and now in Yudet. So it's a Loshan Chiba. So he brings two examples, as it happens, both, no, three, two of them from Rut where um, Boaz, as described as to Isha, with a Muppet He, means to her husband. Nami has a Moda, which is a relative of her husband. That's how it's normally translated. But says Rashi, the root is 
which means, says Rashi, to love, because hopefully you love your cousins. You love, you feel affection for your family. So moda, which we translate as family member, comes from someone whom you have affection for. So moda le'isha is Nami's relative from the same root as moda, to love. And then another example, also from um, Ruth, hello, Boaz, modatenu, modatanu, sorry, that Boaz is our, now we translate it as relative, but Rashi says it's the relative whom you have affection for. And another one, ve'edacha b'shem, I will make, no, I will know you by name. Um, I'm trying to remember if it's Hashem speaking to Moshe. It's Hashem speaking to Moshe when he's going to reveal himself to Moshe in a way that he hasn't revealed to anybody else. And he, Moshe, and then he teaches Moshe to recite the Shlosha Zayn Midot. It's that moment when Moshe has succeeded in, in, in receiving forgiveness for the ego. And Moshe tries his luck and says, can I know you more than I've ever known you before? And Rashi says, here, it doesn't mean no. It means to create that sense of love, that sense of affection. So, the reason Rashi uses this translation, uh, and he will, has my translation got it? Yeah, okay, later on he's going to say that the Targum has got it wrong, is because, and I'll tell you now what he says about the Targum, because if you translate it as, I have known him, the next word doesn't make sense. Kiyodativ, because I have known him, Laman, because he will command his children and his household after him. That is not a reason for knowing him. It is a reason for loving him. I love him because he teaches his children to keep the way of Hashem. That makes sense. I know him because he teaches his children to keep the way of Hashem. That doesn't make sense. So Rashi actually will say that clearly in a few lines time, but I'll mention it now. That is why Rashi insists that kiyadativ means I love him. Now, going back to the meaning of the word. So you might be bothered because when you look at the word yada, you normally see knowing, recognizing. You don't normally see loving. So Rashi says, but ikar loshen kulam ena ela loshen yadia. The its essence of all these examples, so that's the example in our Pasuk and the three examples Rashi brought as well, they all are based on an idea of knowledge. When you love somebody, you draw them near and you know them and you recognize them. Loving comes, sorry, knowing comes from loving. This is a very, very profound idea. Um, you might remember at the beginning of the Torah, Perak Dala to be precise, so Adam yada et chava ishto. So Adam knew chava his wife. Um, and as I say, sometimes people read this and they make a little joke and they say knowing in the biblical sense, because when it says yada, it means had relations with. And what is yada, knowledge, got to do with having relations with? And when you read it in an English translation, Adam knew his wife, and you know what that means, you think it's weird. But says Rashi here, you know what? Knowing somebody is loving somebody. Loving somebody is knowing somebody. Loving is forming an intimate, intimate connection with somebody. And when you form that intimate connection, you love them. And the process goes in both directions. And by the way, this teaches you a very profound idea about the Jewish view of love, and the Jewish view of knowledge, that to love something is to know something, and to know something is to love something. So when you know a person, you know them well, that comes connected with loving them. And when you know a subject, when you want to learn Gemara, and you want to know Gemara, it's because you love learning Gemara. The two come together. It tells us about knowledge, and it tells us about love. Incredibly profound idea, all tied up in one little word of Rashi when he says, ki adativ, Lashon Chiba. Okay. Um, and then he says, so I missed out two words. Um, oh, no, sorry. This uh, goes on to the next part of Rashi. Velama Yadativ. Rashi is actually using those two words to introduce the next comment. Why do I, now we know it means love him. Why do I love him? Laman Asher Yitzaveh. 
because he commands. Now, I've, I've um, Lefisha who metzaveh et banav, alai lishmar darachai. Because he commands his children about me to guard my way. It's interesting that he's translated Yitzavir as Metzavir, putting it into the present tense. And the Maharal points out that Rashi's done that deliberately. Well, Rashi does everything deliberately. But Rashi's done that significantly because this commanding is not something that he's going to do in the future because after all, everyone has Bechira, even Avram Avinu. So Hashem can't act now on the basis of what he thinks or knows Avram is going to do. Because even though Hashem knows what Avram's going to do, maybe he won't do it. I know it's a conundrum, but it's not actually that hard. Um, that's the predetermination versus free will. Avram's still got free will. So Hashem's not going to love him now because of what he will do in the future. So uh, furthermore, um, he's already been commanding his son. He's only got one son at the moment. He's already been commanding him to do tzedakah or mishpat. How do we know? Because Rashi told us so only a few Pesukim earlier in Pasuk Yud, Pasuk Zion. El HaBakar Ratz HaAvraham V'Yakach Ben Bakar V'Rach V'Tov V'Yatein El HaNa'ar. And Rashi there said on Pasuk Zion, he gave it to the lad, Yishmael, L'Chancho B'Mitzvot, to educate him in mitzvot. Maybe it's not significant, but I think it is, that just 12 Pesukim later, Hashem acknowledges that Abraham is raising his children in the right way. So Metzaveh is not just something he's going to do in the future, but it's something he's doing now. And continues Rashi, He commands his children on me to guard my way. I'm sorry, I was ahead. The next Rashi, uh, the next comment of Rashi is on the word Yitzavir. Uh, so I'll come back to that, but I've already told you what it's going to say. Okay. Ve'im tefarashehu katargumo. And if you were to translate it like the Targum, which says, Yodea ani bo, I know of him, Shiyitzavir et banav, that he will command his sons. Ein lama'an nofel al haloshan. The word lama'an, can't fit into the Loshan. Now, the Targum doesn't actually say Yodea ani boshi etzave et banav, because that's in Hebrew. The Targum says it in Aramaic. What the Targum actually says is are galei kadamai, which is the Targum's way of always avoiding any anthropomorphisms with Hashem. The Targum will avoid, as, in every possible way, saying Hashem acts in an active way because that sounds like Hashem has got human characteristics. So the Targum translates it as, it is revealed before me. Although interestingly enough, there is another version of the Targum which says, uh, I know him, literally. But the much more logical one is Targum saying, Arei Galei Kadamai, which is also the way the Targum Yerushalmi and the Targum Yerushalmi and Uziel also translate it. So Rashi is taking those words of the Targum and putting them into Hebrew, when he says the Targum translates it as Yodea Ani Bo, I know of him, that he will command his children. But the problem, as I said, and Rashi says, is the word Laman doesn't fit. I know him because he commands his children. Doesn't fit. However, just by the way, Rashi says it doesn't fit. Can we defend the Targum? Well, yes, we possibly can. So um, one defense of the Targum is to say, I know him. Not to say that means I love him, but to stick with the meaning of I know him, but I know him and I watch over him and I give special hashkacha as my watching over him. Why do I know him, i.e. watch over him? Because he's a good guy who commands his children the right way. Um, so that's one way of defending the Targum. But you still have to twist I know him into I um no, I, I protect him. I have a special connection to him. You just don't go all the way that Rashi goes and translate it as I love him. The Meshechachma um, says, I know him, um, but I'm, as in, I know, but I'm not obliging him. I know that he's going to command, he is commanding his children, but I know as a limitation on Hashem, I am not forcing him to because I can't because he's got Bechira, he's got free will. 
So I know him because he commands of his own accord. I think it's a little bit, uh, it's a bit of a stretch, to be honest. Kavodah um, Bimkoma of the great Meshachachma. But what he's saying is, uh, to the extent that I've understood it, I know him. I am not forcing him. Why am I not forcing him? So that he can command his children of his own Bechira, of his own free will. Okay, that's two ways to defend the uh, Targum, but Rashi's not buying it. Rashi says, if you translate Kiyadativ uh, as I know him, Lama'an doesn't make sense. But rather, if you translate Kiyadativ as I love him, it makes perfect sense. Okay, the next comment of Rashi, which I've pre- presaged, uh, pre- presaged um, rehearsed, is on the words Yitzhaber, Lashon Hover. It's an expression meaning the present tense. Kamo, kacha ya'aser iov. Now, iov, at the beginning of Sefer Iov, in chapter one, before things go very downhill for iov, we get a description of iov's regular lifestyle. And this is what he would do. He would offer lots of sacrifices. He, he was very rich and he was very pious. And this is the sort of things that he would do. But what Rashi is pointing out in that possibly that quote from Eov, Ya'aser is in the future, and yet it has a present tense meaning as an ongoing present. This is what he generally does, present tense. So Rashi, so Abraham similarly, Yetzaver, looks like the future, but Rashi is saying it's Loshan Hover, it's a future which is actually to be understood as a present, not a one-off momentary present, but an ongoing present. This is what Abraham generally does. He generally commands his children to keep the way of Hashem. And I've already explained, because I was a bit earlier on this, why it's important to say that, because Abraham has already displayed that he is commanding his children. And as the Go'ariye, <coughs> the Maharal, points out, it can't be because of what Hashem, what he's going to do in the future, because he's always got Bechira, so Hashem always waits for somebody to do something before he rewards them for it. And then there's more Rashi, because the next part of the Pasuk, interestingly, there's two Lamans here. Um, he doesn't comment on like he did the two keys in Pasuk uh, Tet Vav, um, and that's because they basically both mean the same thing. They both mean because. So, Kiyadativ, because I love him, Lam, sorry, I love him, Laman, because, says Rashi, here, the next part of Rashi, Laman Hevi, Kach Hu Levanav. This is how he commands his children. Shamru Derech Hashem, guard the way of Hashem. Now, this, in some versions, you might actually see inverted commas. What Rashi is saying is he commands his children with these words: Shimru Derech Hashem. Shimru is an imperative which Abraham says to his children. Kedei she'avi Hashem al Avraham. In order that Hashem should be bring on Abraham. There's one more comment of Rashi on there. But the main first thing is, kach hu This is how he commands his children. Now, I think Rashi might be pointing out that it's not enough to teach them to be good people, but teach them to give tzedakah and to act fairly with tzedakah or mishpat but rather it's integral to the message that Avram is giving to his children, but this is the derech Hashem. We are doing tzedakah and mishpat, not just because it's a good, rational, societal um, way to behave, and if we give good charity to people, they'll give it to us, and we'll all benefit together. That's not why he commands them to do it. He commands them to do it, saying, shimru derech Hashem, keep the way of Hashem. It's Hashem who tells you to give tzedakah. I think it's a very important refutation of the idea that we can all be good people by giving tzedakah whether we believe in Hashem or not. Yes, we can. And yes, we should all give tzedakah whether we believe in Hashem or not. And somebody who gives tzedakah is a good person whether he believes in Hashem or not. But that's not the ultimate chinuch which Abraham is being identified and praised for. And then Arashi says, Kadeshi avi Hashem al Avraham, so if you look back at the Pasuk, uh, uh, the, the, he teaches his children to do the right thing, so that Hashem should bring on Abraham, et asher diber alav, what he said of him or, or regarding him. Now, what did Hashem say to Abraham? 
as I've said earlier, he gave him two promises, that he'll have uh, a mighty nation and that nation will inherit the land of Israel. What is interesting is neither of those things were fulfilled in Abraham's lifetime. And yet Hashem says that because uh, Abraham does the right thing by teaching his children the right way, Hashem will bring on Abraham, says Rashi on this, al bet Abraham lo ne'emar, ela al Abraham. It doesn't say on the house of Abraham, on the dynasty of Abraham, but it says on Abraham. And because of what I just said, it should say bet Abraham, because it doesn't happen to Abraham. It happens to his descendants. So why does it say in order that Hashem will bring on Avraham what Hashem has promised? And the answer is, Lamadnu kol hamamid ben sadik ki'ilu eino mate. This teaches us that anyone who raises up a child who is a tzaddik, it's as if the parent doesn't die. So what, the, what happens to the children is an effect also happening to the parents because they're still alive, as it were. So when Abraham's descendants, A, are very many, and B, inherit the land, that's Abraham getting the benefit. And that is taught by this use of Hashem will bring on Abraham, when in fact he's not bringing on Abraham, he's bringing on Abraham's descendants. What an interesting pace in the Torah to teach this lesson. Of all the places in the Torah, the Torah chooses this spot to teach the principle of kol hamamid ben sadik ki'ilu enomet. Why should it choose this spot? Because Abraham's just been told he's going to have a child. And that means his, as I've said this many times before, his legacy is going to outlive him. In a sense, he's going to live forever because his children, if he teaches them in the right way, and raises them up to be Sadiqim, will carry on his way and carry on his message. So it is a, in my opinion, truly beautiful conglomeration of everything we've learned up till now in this Pasuk, that he's going to have a son. He's going to teach him Derech Hashem. He's already taught one son Derech Hashem, which we saw him do just a few Pasukim earlier. He's going to teach the other son as well, because present tense, that's what he normally does. He's going to fulfill the ultimate objective of parenthood, which is not just to spread DNA, but is to create Sadiqim. And if he creates Sadiqim, which we're confident he will, then he, Abraham, is going to embody his future descendants, and he's going to personify them, and it's as if he's not going to die. And this pasuk sums up everything we've learned about the promise of a child to Abraham. So I got quite excited about that because I'm quite excited how that Pasuk is, is so magical. And I think that's probably a good place to stop because next Pasuk, Pasuk Kaf, goes straight into the story of Saddam. And that's, uh, this, this uh, sorry, Pasuk Yotet really is the bridge because they said at the beginning, first half of the Perik is about the uh, promise of a child to Avraham. The second half of the Perik is about Saddam and their evil. And in particular, their failure to do Sadaka or Mishpat. And Yutet is the bridge, but it's a contrasting bridge. Because in Yutet, uh, Hashem says, Abraham is going to teach his children to do Sadaka or Mishpat, which is the precise antithesis of Saddam, where they didn't teach their children to do Sadaka or Mishpat. And the result is whatever the result will be. I will pause there. I will invite any comments or questions. No, nope. I will thank you very much for attending and helping me learn and get my ideas together. And Imir Hashem, I will see you again next week. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.